Section eighty four of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew. Volume one. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk. Part eighty four. Of a single woman as a street seller. I had some difficulty, for the reasons I have stated, in finding a single woman who, by her unaided industry, supported herself on the sale of street merchandise. There were plenty of single young women so engaged, but they lived, or lodged, with their parents, or with one parent, or they had some support, however trifling, from some quarter or other. Among the street Irish I could have obtained statements from many single women who depended on their daily sale for their daily bread, but I have already given instances of their street life. One Irish woman, a spinster of about fifty, for I had some conversation with her in the course of a former inquiry, had supported herself alone by street sale for many years. She sat, literally packed in a sort of hamper basket, at the corner of Charles Street, Leather Lane. She seemed to fit herself cross-legged, like a Turk or a tailor, on his shop-board, into her hamper. Her fruit-stall was close by her, and there she seemed to doze away life day by day, for she usually appeared to be wrapped in slumber. If any one approached her stall, however, she seemed to awake, as it were, mechanically. I have missed this poor woman of late, and I believe she only packed herself up in the way described when the weather was cold. A woman of about twenty-six or twenty-seven, I may again remark that the regular street-sellers rarely know their age, made the following statement. She was spare and sickly-looking, but said that her health was tolerably good. I used to mind my mother's stall, she stated, when I was a girl, when mother wasn't well or had a little work at pea-shelling or such like. She sold sweet stuff. No, she didn't make it, but bought it. I never cared for it, and when I was quite young I've sold sweet stuffs as I never tasted. I never had a father. I can't read or write, but I like to hear people read. I go to Zion Chapel sometimes of a Sunday night. The singing's so nice. I don't know what religion you may call it of, but it's a Zion Chapel. Mother's been dead these—well, I don't know how long, but it's a long time. I've lived by myself ever since, and kept myself, and I have half a room with another young woman who lives by making little boxes. I don't know what sort of boxes. Pill boxes? Very likely, sir, but I can't say I ever saw any. She goes out to work on another boxmaker's premises. She's no better off nor me. We pays one and sixpence a week between us. It's my bed, and the other sticks is hern. We agree well enough. I haven't sold sweet stuff for a great bit. I've sold small wares in the streets, and artificials, note, artificial flowers, end note, and lace, and penny dolls, and penny boxes, note, of toys, end note. No, I never hear anything improper from young men. Boys have sometimes said when I've been selling sweets, Don't look so hard at them or they'll turn sour. I never minded such nonsense. I has very few amusements. I goes once or twice a month or so to the gallery at the Wick, note, Victoria Theatre, end note, for I lived near. It's beautiful there. Oh, it's really grand. I don't know what they call what's played, because I can't read the bills. I hear what they're called, but I forgets. 
i knows miss vincent and john herbert when they come on i likes them the best i'm a-going to leave the streets i have an aunt a laundress because she was mother's sister and i always helped her and she taught me laundressing i work for her three and sometimes four days a week now because she's lost her daughter anne and i'm known as a good ironer another laundress will employ me next week so i'm dropping the streets as i can do far better i'm not likely to be married and i don't want to of a mechanic's wife as a street seller a middle-aged woman presenting what may be best understood as a decency of appearance for there was nothing remarkable in her face or dress gave me the following account of her experience as a street seller and of her feelings when she first became one i went into service very young in the country she said but mistress brought me up to london with her where master had got a situation the children was so fond of me i saved a little money in that and other places as girls often does and they seems not to save it so much for themselves as for others father got the first bit of money i saved or he would have been seized for rent he was only a working man note agricultural labourer and all the rest i scraped went before i'd been married a fortnight for i got married when i was twenty-four oh no indeed i don't mean that my money was wasted by my husband it was every farthing laid out in the house besides what he had for we took a small house in a little street near the commercial road and let out furnished rooms we did very well at first with lodgings but the lodgers were mates of vessels or people about the river and the docks and they were always coming and going and the rooms was often empty and some went away in debt my husband is a smith and was in middling work for a good while then he got a job to go with some horses to france for he can groom a horse as well as shoe it and he was a long time away three or four months for he was sent into another country when he got to france but i don't understand the particulars of it the rooms was empty and the last lodger went away without paying and i had nothing to meet the court as rent and the landlord all of a sudden almost put in the brokers for he said my husband would never come back and perhaps i should be selling the furniture and be off to join him for he told me it was all a planned thing he knew and so the furniture was sold for next to nothing and one pound and six shillings was given to me after the sale i suppose that was over when all was paid but i had been forced to part with some linen and things to live upon and pay the rates that came very heavy my husband came back to an empty house three days after and he'd been unlucky for he brought home only four pounds instead of ten pounds at least as he expected but he'd been cheated by the man he went into the other country with yes the man that cheated him was an englishman and my poor john was put to great trouble and expense and was in a strange place without knowing a word of the language but the foreigners was very kind to him he said and didn't laugh at him when he tried to make himself understood as i've seen people do here many a time the landlord gave us one pound to give up the house as he had a good offer for it and so we had to start again in the world like our money was almost gone before john got regular work though he had some odd jobs and then he had for a good many months the care of a horse and cart for a tradesman in the city shortly after that he was laid up a week with a crushed leg but his master wouldn't wait a week for him so he hired another i've nothing to say against john says he when i told his master of the accident 
and i'm sorry very sorry but my business can't be hindered by waiting for people getting better of accidents john got work at his own business next but there was always some stopper he was ill or i was ill and if there was ten shillings in the house then it went and wasn't enough and so we went on for a good many years i don't know how many john kept working among horses and carts or at his own business but what with travelling abroad i suppose and such like he got to like best to be in the streets and he has his health best that way Note, the husband it is evident was afflicted with the restlessness of the tribe End note. about seven years ago we were very badly off no work and no money and neither of us well then i used to make a few women's plain nightcaps and plain morning caps for servants and sell them to a shopkeeper but latterly i couldn't sell them at all or get no more than the stuff cost me without any profit for labour so at last and it was on a friday evening of all unlucky times my gold wedding ring that cost eight shillings and sixpence and that i'd stuck to all along had to be pawned for four shillings and sixpence for rent and bread that was a shocking time sir we sat in the dark of an evening for we could get neither coals nor a candle as we was a little in debt and john said it was a blessing after all perhaps that we hadn't no family for he often both joking and serious wished for children but it wasn't god's will you see that we should have any one morning when i woke very early i found my husband just going out and when i asked him what sent him out so soon he says it's for nothing bad so don't fret yourself old gal that day he walked all over london and called on all the masters as had employed him or knowed him and told them how he was situated and said that if he could borrow twenty shillings up and down he could do a little he knew the thought of it came into his mind all of a sudden in going about with a horse and cart that he could hire and sell coals to poor people he raised eight shillings and sixpence i think it was and started with a quarter of a ton of coals and then another quarter when the first was sold and he carried it on for three or four weeks but the hire of the horse and cart took all the profit and the poor people wanted credit people must cheat to thrive as sells coals in the street all this time i could do nothing though i tried for washing and charring but i'm slow at washing but starve at home and be afraid every knock was the landlord after that john was employed to carry a very heavy board over his shoulder and so as to have it read on both sides it was about an eating-house and i went with him to give little bills about it to all we met for it was as much as a man could do to carry the board he had one shilling a day and i had sixpence that was my first time in the streets and i felt so shamed to come to that i thought if i met any people i knew in essex or any of my old mistresses what would they think then we had all sorts of jokes to stand we both looked pinched and young gents used to say do you dine there yourselves and the boys oh of all the torments they've shouted out excellent dining-rooms that was on the board sir and two jolly specimens of the style of grub i could have knocked their saucy heads together we was resting in the shade one day and we were anxious to do our best for one shilling and sixpence a day was a great thing then and an old gentleman came up and said he was glad to get out of the sun he looked like a parson but was a jokey man and he'd been having some wine i think he smelt of it so he began to talk to us and ask us questions such as you have sir 
and we told him how we was situated. "'God bless you,' says he, "'for I think you're honest folks. People that lie don't talk like you. Here's some loose silver I have.' And he gave John five shillings and sixpence, and went away. We could hardly think it was real. It seemed such a lot of money just then to be clear all at once. I've never seen him since, and never saw him, as I knows of, before. But may God Almighty bless him, wherever he is, for I think that five shillings and sixpence put new life into us, and brought a blessing. A relation of John's came to London not long after, and gave him a sovereign, and sent him some old clothes, and very good ones, when he went back. Then John hired a barrow, it's his own now, and started as a costermonger. A neighbour of Anne told him how to do it, and he's done very well at it since. Well, you know, sir, I couldn't like to stay at home by myself doing of a nothing, and I couldn't get any charring. Besides, John says, why can't you sell something? So I made some plain women's caps, and as we lived in Anne's place, Waterloo Road, then, I went into the new cut with them on a Saturday night. But there was such crowding and shoving and shouting that I was kept under and sold only one cap. I was very much nervous before I went, and thought again, it was very foolish, I know, if I saw anybody from Essex, for country people seem to think all their friends in London are making fortunes. Before I went, my landlady would treat me to a little drop of gin to give me spirits, and for luck, but I think it made me more nervous. I very seldom taste any, and John's very good that way. He takes his pint or two every now and then, but I know where he uses, and if it gets late I go for him, and he comes home. The next time I went to sell in the cut, I got bold, for I knew I was doing nothing but what was honest. I've sold caps and millinery and laces and artificial flowers and such like ever since. We've saved a little money now, which is in the bank, thank God, but that's not done by costering or by my trade. But my husband buys a pony every now and then, and grooms and fattens it up well, and makes it quite another thing, and so clears a pound or two. He once cleared three pound fifteen shillings on it. We don't go to church or chapel on a Sunday. We're so tired out after the week's work. But John reads a tract that a young lady leaves till he falls asleep over it. Of an Irishwoman as a street seller. I have before had occasion to remark the aptitude of the poor Irish in the streets of London, not so much to lie, which may be too harsh a word when motives and idiosyncrasy are considered, but to exaggerate and misrepresent and colour in such a way that the truth becomes a mere incident in the narrative instead of being the animating principle throughout i speak here not as regards any direct question or answer on one specific point but as regards a connected statement presuming that a poor irishwoman for instance had saved up a few shillings very likely for some laudable purpose and had them hidden about her person, and was asked if she had a farthing in the world, she would reply with a look of most stolid innocence, Sorrow a farthing, sir. This, of course, is an unmitigated lie. Then ask her why she is so poor, and what are her hopes for the future, and a very slender substratum of truth will suffice for the putting together of a very ingenious history, if she thinks the occasion requires it. It is the same when these poor persons are questioned as to their former life. They have heard of societies to promote emigration, 
and if they fancy that any inquiries are made of them with a view to emigration they will ingeniously shape their replies so as to promote or divert that object according to their wishes if they think the inquiries are for some charitable purpose their tale of woe and starvation is heart-rending the probability is that they may have suffered much and long and bravely but they will still exaggerate in one thing however i have found them understate the fact and that i believe principally or wholly when they have been previously used to the most wretched of the irish hovels i mean as to their rooms where do you live may be asked well then in parker street note parker street end note Durley lane have you a decent room sure then and it is decent for a poor woman on a visit perhaps the room will be found smoky filthy half ruinous and wretched in every respect i believe however that if these poor people could be made to comprehend the motives which caused their being questioned for the purposes of this work the elucidation of the truth motives which they cannot be made to understand they would speak with a far greater regard to veracity but they will suspect an ulterior object involving some design on the part of the querist and they will speak accordingly to what causes social or political national long-rooted or otherwise this spirit may be owing it is not now my business to inquire at the outset of my inquiries amongst the poor irish whose civility and often native politeness where there is a better degree of intelligence makes it almost impossible to be angry with them even when you listen to a story of which you believe not one-sixth at the outset of my inquiries i say i was told by an irish gentleman that i was sure to hear the truth if i had authority to use the name of their priest i readily obtained the consent of reverend gentlemen to use their names and for any purpose of inquiry a courtesy which i thankfully acknowledge i mention this more especially that it may not be thought that there has been exaggeration in my foregoing or in the following statement where the irish are the narrators i have little doubt of their truth it may be but proper to remark in order that one class of poor people may not be unduly depreciated while another class is perhaps unduly appreciated that the poor irishman is much more imaginative is readier of wit and far readier of speech than an englishman of a corresponding grade and were the untaught englishman equally gifted in those respects who will avouch that his regard for the truth would be much more severe of the causes which induced a good-looking irish woman to become a street seller i had the following account which i give in its curious details deed then sir it's more than twenty long years since i came from dublin to liverpool with my father and mother and brother william that's dead and gone rest his soul he died when he was fourteen they was masons in ireland was both father and mother masons sir well then in any quiet job mother helped father for she was a strong woman they came away sudden they was in some trouble but i never knew what for they wouldn't talk to me about it we travelled from liverpool to london for there was no work at liverpool and he got work on buildings in london and had eighteen shilling a week and mother cleaned and worked for a greengrocer as they called him 
he sold coals more than anything where we lodged and it wasn't much she got but she earned what is such a terrible to poor people the rent we was well off and i was sent to school and we should have been better off but father took too much to the drop god save him he fell once and broke his leg and though the hospital gentleman god bless them for good christians got him through it he got little warwick when he came out again and died in less than a year mother wasn't long after him and on her deathbed she said so low i could hardly hear her mary medallint if ye starve be virtuous remember poor illan's funeral when i was quite a child sir i went with mother to a funeral she was a relation and it was of a young woman that died after her child had been born a fortnight and she wasn't married that was illan her body was brought out of the lying-in hospital i've often heard spake of it since and was in the churchyard to be buried and her brother that hadn't seen her for a long time came and wanted to see her in her coffin and they took the lid off and then he cursed her in her coffin afore him she'd been so wicked but he wasn't a good man hisself and was in drink too still nobody said anything and he walked away it made me ill to see illan in her coffin and hear him curse and i've remembered it ever since i was then fifteen i believe and hadn't any friends that had any tie to me i was lone sir but the neighbours said poor thing she's left on the shukran note homeless end note and they helped me and i got a place mistress was very kind at first that's my first mistress was and i had the care of a child of three years old they had only one because mistress was busy making waistcoats master was a hatter and away all day and they was well off but some women called on mistress once and they had a deal of talking and blathering and laughing and i don't know how often i was sent out for quarterns of gin then they all went out together and mistress came home quite tipsy just afore master and went upstairs and had just time to get into bed she told me to tell master she had one of her sick headaches and was forced to go to bed she went on that way for three or four days and master and she used to quarrel of a night for i could hear them one night he came home sooner than common and he'd been drinking or perhaps it might be trouble and he sent me to bed with the child and some time in the night i don't know what time but i could only see from a gas-lamp that shined into the room he came in for there was no fastening inside the door it was only like a closet and he began to ask me about mistress when he learnt she'd been drinking with other women he used dreadful language and pulled me out of bed and struck me with a stick that he snatched up he could see it in the gaslight it was little frank's horse and swore at me for not telling him afore he only struck me once but i screamed ever so often i was so frightened i dressed myself and lay down in my clothes and got up as soon as it was light it was summer-time and thought i would go away and complain to someone i would ask the neighbours who to complain to when i was going out there was master walking up and down the kitchen he'd never been to bed and he says says he mary where are you going so i told him and he begged my pardon and said he was ashamed of what he'd done but he was half mad then he began to cry and so i cried and mistress came home just then and when she saw us both crying together she cried and said she wasn't wanted as we was man and wife already master just gave her a push and down she fell and he ran out 
she seemed so bad and the child began to cry that i couldn't lave them and master came home drunk that night but he wasn't cross for he'd made out that mistress had been drinking with some neighbours and he had got to her mother's and that she was so tipsy she fell asleep they let her stay till morning and then some woman set her home but she'd been there all night they made it up at last but i wouldn't stay they was very kind to me when i left and paid me all that was owing and gave me a good pair of shoes too for they was well off i had a many places for seven years after that and when i was out of a place i stayed with a widow and a very decent woman she was with a daughter working for a bookbinder and the old woman had a good pitch with fruit some of my places was very hard but sure again i met some as was very kind i left one because they was always wanting me to go to a methodist chapel and was always running down my religion and did all they could to hinder my ever going to mass they would hardly pay me when i left because i wouldn't listen to them they said the heathens when they would have saved my soul they saved my soul indeed the likes of them yes indeed then i had wicked offers sometimes and from masters that should have known better i kept no company with young men one mistress refused me a character because i was so unhandy she said but she thought better of it at last i had a favour note fever end note and wasn't expected for long note not expected to live end note when i was getting well everything went to keep me what wasn't good enough for the pawn went to the dolly note dolly shop generally a rag and bottle shop or a marine store end note when i could get about i was so shabby and my clothes hung about me so that the shops i went to said very sorry but can't recommend you anywhere and mistresses looked strange at me and i didn't know what to do and was miserable i'd been miserable sometimes in place and had many a cry and thought how lone i was but i never was so miserable as this at last the old woman i stayed along with oh yes she was an irish woman advised me to sell fruit in the streets and i began on strawberries and borrowed two shillings and sixpence to do it with i had me health better than ever then and after i'd sold fruit of all kinds for two years i got married my husband had a potato can then i knew him because he'd lived near and i saw him go in and out and go to mass after that he got a porter's place and dropped his can and he porters when he has a chance still and has a little work in sewing sacks for the corn merchants when he's at home at his sacks as he is now he can mind the children we have two and i sells a few oranges to make a trifle when there's nothing else for him to do he sells fruit in the streets and then i'm at home we do middlin god be praised there is no doubt my informant was a modest and in her way a worthy woman but it may be doubted if any english girl after seven years of domestic service would have so readily adapted herself to a street calling had an english girl been living among and used to the society of women who supported themselves by street labour her repugnance to such a life might have been lessened but even then i doubt if she who had the virtue to resist the offers told of by my irish informant could have made the attempt to live by selling fruit i do not mean that she would rather have fallen into immoral courses than honestly live upon the sale of strawberries but that she would have struggled on 
and striven to obtain any domestic labour in preference to a street occupation. Of a widow, a street seller. A woman, apparently about fifty, strong-built and red-faced, speaking in a loud tone, and what people of her class account a hearty manner, gave me the following account. I can readily condense it, for in her street career there was nothing very novel. She was the daughter of a costermonger, and she married a costermonger before she was twenty. On my hinting that sometimes the marriage ceremony was not considered indispensable, the good woman laughed and said, Married, or as good, it's all as one, but we was married. The marriage was not one of unalloyed happiness, for the couple often wrangled and occasionally fought. This was told to me with some laughter, and with perfect good humour, for the widow seemed interested to have a listener. She did not, I feel confident, exaggerate the merits of the deceased, nor perhaps his failings. He was the best judge of fish in the streets, she said, and was the neatest hand in cutting it up or showing it off. He was not a bad sort, and was very fond of his children. When sober and at work he was a quiet fellow, without a cross word for a whole morning. But when drunk, which was far too often, unless very drunk, and then he was silly, he went about tearing and swearing, like one o'clock. But if he saw his wife take but a glass or two to do her good, he went on like a madman, and as if he never touched it himself. He never had nothing to say to other women. If he had, she would have clawed their eyes out, and his'n too. He was as good that way as any nobleman could be, and he was a fine man to look at, and on a Sunday when he dressed himself he was beautiful. He was never in a church in his life, and didn't trouble himself about such things. They was no concern of his'n. It may be thought that I have treated this matter too lightly, but the foregoing is really the substance, and certainly it is the tone of the widow's talk, which she poured forth freely, without expressing wonder why any one, a perfect stranger, cared to listen to such a history. She needed but a few hints and leading questions to make her talk on. Nor is this an uncommon quality, even among classes who would be shocked to be classed in any respect with the widowed street-seller. Their own career, their own sayings and doings, hopes and disappointments, alone interest masses of people, and with the simplicity which not seldom pertains to selfishness, they will readily talk of all that interests themselves, as if it must necessarily interest others. On the whole, though, the departed costermonger was greatly deplored by his widow and family. They did very well without him, and carry on the business to this day. He died four or five years back. I have no doubt this widow is a shrewd saleswoman enough. I have heard her cry, Mackerel! Live mackerel! Eight a shilling! Mackerel! And at other times, Eight a bob! Fine mackerel! Mackerel! Eight a bob! Eight a bob! On my inquiring as to the cause of this difference in her cries, the fish-seller laughed and said, I cries eight a bob! when I sees people as I think is likely to like slang. To others I cries eight a shilling, which no doubt is the right way of talking. End of section 84